0: Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our newest vodcast. And I'm calling this Lessons in Leadership and Discovery, what you can learn from outside of medicine or outside of radiology. And I think it's really important to really have a broad perspective of where you get your information. Um, I think all of us within radiology, within medicine in general, have a very closed loop of where we get information and get ideas and i think i've seen many people write articles that you need to learn at least 50 percent of what you're learning what you're reading from outside of your specialty so we need to be not just outside of radiology but outside of medicine And to quote Marcus Aurelius from way back when, the happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts. So we need great thoughts. Now, a number of years ago, about nine years ago to be exact, we were trying to figure out a way of improving our practice beyond simply saying, we'll read the scans better, we'll do thinner sections, faster injection rates, all of the usual things. But what we needed to do is get a broader spectrum of information. Now we could get experts from inside radiology and medicine, get someone from Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic or Stanford, and we do all those things as we do lectures on pancreas and liver and kidneys and the like. But you know, most of the time if you listen to so-called experts, they simply say what you already know or they simply say things they don't do themselves. What we decided to do was to get experts outside of radiology and outside of medicine. And the way we would find people is simply look at what people have done. We wanted successful people who are beyond medicine. We wanted people who were in different disciplines and different industries, all outside of radiology, and let them tell us what they're thinking, what they're doing, and their plans. And perhaps we could learn from them. We started this in 2014, And it was somewhat of a surprise that we did at this conversation series. We'd have people come to Hopkins, spend a day with me. They would then lecture at 5 o'clock, do about a 40, 45-minute lecture, and then do Q&A. And it's amazing the people we got. You can see from Bill Phillips, who was in charge of men's health at that point, to Paul Greenberg, who's a CEO of multiple different companies uh, since then, but he was at the top of his game even then. Cindy Wolf, who runs the uh, best restaurant in Baltimore in 2014 and 2023. Eric Becker, who with his brother founded Sylvan Learning Center when he was still in high school and has done many things. Now is at Crescent Financial, but before was at Sterling Partners, which he had founded with his brother. We had Whitney Fishman Zember, who was at MEC, talking about consumer technology. With Ed Catmull, who many of you recognize the name. He was the president of Pixar and Disney Studios till he retired from that a couple of years ago and is doing additional great things. And then Horst Schultes, who was the CEO of the Capella Group at that time, but for more than two decades was the CEO of the Ritz Carlton. An amazing group of people, healthcare, but not in medicine, management, a chef, a businessman. Someone talking about strategies and running a company and running and training people. And for each of these, we've published an article. It was peer-reviewed. It's been JACR. Not everything we submitted got accepted. Many things we got accepted finally took a lot of reviews to make them really good. And you could read about them. There's over 70 articles published in JACR, and we published between six and eight a year. We have eight or nine speakers, even as we speak in 2013. Our next talk is gonna be the end of January. And if you look at just these five things, the range of speakers from Jensen Wang, CEO of Nvidia, at Catmull, head of Disney and Pixar, Eric Becker, Bonita Stewart, the highest rated person of color at Google, and Ray Smith, who was part of um, Lucasfilm and co-founder of Pixar. And then at Microsoft, the first person to develop the paint program. That's just five names out of 70 plus names. Everybody had a story to tell, and they shared it with us. If I asked you or you asked me, Elliot, tell me some themes that were common. Well, some of them were like, you need to actively manage the experience of your customers, which in our case is our patients. You need to set expectations for your staff at all levels from the lowest to the highest level. You need to enforce your expectations, which means you need to do what you tell other people to do. You need to walk the walk, talk the talk. You can't tell people to work hard or you can't tell people to be nice to other people and you don't do it yourself. You need to try to encourage people to try, to push themselves, even if they're gonna fail at first, You need to allow errors because without making errors, you're not going to be able to think great thoughts and try and accomplish great things. You need diversity of thought, which means you need diversity of people. You need to rethink how you hire people and how you retain people. And that's critical for your success. Think about the last two years with people quitting jobs left and right. This talk was given well before the whole COVID crisis. And leadership must set the direction and not micromanage. How many of us all sit in situations where everything is micromanaged, where the ability to do thinking really is not encouraged, but simply just do what you're told becomes the standard of care? Now, none of these things is one would argue, oh my God, what a thought. But putting them all together really becomes very important. And I'll just pick four simple speakers and one statement from each of them. Then I'm going to go into about five different topics and really go into more detail. This will probably take two talks. And the truth is, I've only scratched the surface. When I do the two talks, I really could do five or six talks if I needed to use all the speakers but I'll come back to those in a different day, and I'm just gonna do a part one and a part two. And this was Horst Schultes talking about running the Ritz. All too often, people ignore my advice by saying, our industry is different. What you have to teach me doesn't hold true for us. Let me assure you, however, that our industries are not so very different, and that we both share a primary goal of serving the customer. Your department may be composed of some of the best physicians in the world, and you may know more about medicine than some of your competitors, but that doesn't necessarily matter. How true it is. The patient experience, you know many centers around where people love going there, and it's not that they have better equipment or they can read the films better than you, but the parking is better, the scheduling is easier, the whole experience becomes better. People aren't just looking at how well you read the films, but everything else, that happens. Marla Kaplowitz, who was CEO of MEC at that time, and now is CEO of a different company and has spoken to us, and I'll mention that a little bit later. In all the organizations I've worked, the best leaders and executives have been able to create work cultures that inspire both clients and the company's employees. And they've had the strength as leaders to drive the difficult changes needed to create those positive work cultures. Over the years, having seen both successful and unsuccessful businesses, I've become a strong believer that in order for your company to be successful, your employees must be happy. They must truly believe in their company and products, and they must be willing to put their clients first. She was amazing, and Marla is amazing, but the point she makes is your employees need to be happy. If your employees are happy, your customers are happy because the employees are going to treat them well. If your employees are unhappy they feel they're treated poorly they're not going to treat the customers well because they're not going to feel that they're valued and so the customers are not going to feel like they're valued ed capmel another important lesson i've learned is that there is always something stupid or dumb happening at all the time in any organization we just don't recognize it unless it becomes a big enough problem as you get higher in the organization, you see fewer and fewer of the problems, and frankly, the interconnections and relationships in a big company are so numerous and complex that no leader can completely understand or grasp them in any real way. Finally, having an organization in which everyone feels empowered to suggest ideas and make contributions is critical if you hope to innovate. No one is smarter than Ed Kavmal. His book, Connectivity, really tells you he speaks about how the fact is you want to make certain that if you have a meeting that there's more truth in the room than in the hallway. How often is it you just sit in a meeting and everyone says, oh, yeah, great idea. Let's do this. Let's do this. Meeting's over. People walk in the hallway and say, oh, my God, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. The people are a bunch of idiots. We'll never be successful. Again, you need to be thinking about reality and you need to find out what the employees are thinking You need to work with them, not against them. Brian King, who is in charge of customer experience for Marriott, with the recent acceleration in technological change, it's imperative that companies be nimble and quickly react to embrace transformational changes. In the end, all of us want to serve our guests or our patients with the utmost care, and we need to anticipate their needs in order to accomplish that. With the rapidly changing landscape in digital technology, both the hospitality and the healthcare industries need to take bold steps to make technology an integral part of why our guests or patients choose us. That was five years ago, think about that. Brian's been back since then and hope will come back soon, but he's making the point that things need to change. Marriott, the Ritz, they know how to do things, but how things worked 10 years ago is not today. The expectations of people change, how people want to see things, how people want to get their bills, how they want to be greeted, what they expect at a hotel, it's changed. And the same thing at the hospital, the patients, this is not Marcus Welby, where in the old days, Marcus Welby would have the patient's interest at heart, obviously, and he was a wonderful doctor on TV, but it was, hey, I'm Marcus Welby, here's what you need to do, and the patient would listen. Now the patient is gonna ask you questions before they see the oncologist or the surgeon or the cardiologist or the radiologist. They've already gone online and Googled the question. They know lots of things. They may know more than you know. They know the latest chemotherapy and radiation therapy. They know the outcomes. They know everything. We need to realize they know a lot and treat them with respect and with knowledge. Those are just four things and I could go on and on, but let me just break it up into a few different topics and just pick a few different speakers under each topic. Again, with 70 plus speakers, it's impossible. So I just chose some of the people, but I promise you I will be back with the other people. Now let's look at leadership. Bill Brody. Bill was my chairman of radiology in the late 80s. Went to Minnesota, came back as the president of Hopkins, left Hopkins after more than a dozen years to run the Salk Institute. All the way, Bill was a radiologist, an entrepreneur, a visionary. Bill came and spoke to us about mistakes. Leadership is a vague term, but it's readily apparent to everyone when it is absent. There always comes a time when there is a true test for an organization, and you then know who is a true leader. Leadership styles range from Attila the Hun to a consensus-maker like Gandhi, and each style can be successful or a failure depending on the individual environment. Management guru Peter Drucker once said something like, the three most charismatic leaders in the 20th century were Hitler, Stalin and Mao. The problem was not bad charisma, it was a bad mission. And so leadership, you need charisma, But you need a mission. You need the right mission. Admittedly, I don't have the perfect answer to this dilemma, but I will say that my experience have taught me one lesson. Never hire second best. If you can't find the optimal candidate, just restart your search. Don't settle for second best. Dr. Brody also said taking the time to listen to your people is critical, especially for someone like me who is used to making quick decisions. Soon after taking my first leadership position, I quickly realized that I needed to be the last person to spoke in a meeting rather than the first. An effective leader needs to hear both sides of an issue before making a proper decision. Dr. Brody also went on to say that the perfect leader is a person who's needed by the company more than he or she needs the company's job. Be willing to make unpopular decisions that might even cost you your job if it's the right thing to do. Dr. Brody's point is you need to do the right thing. Don't do the thing that's easiest. Most people will do the thing that's easiest. They'll simply step in line. Sometimes you need to step out of line and say why or question what you're doing. Having the integrity to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences, is what ultimately differentiates the very best of leaders. And it's hard to say anything better then Bill Brody says it. We also had Jenny Abramson. Jenny runs a venture capital firm, a very successful firm, that focuses on leadership CEOs that are women or the leadership of the company is women, if not necessarily the CEO. She talked about the cost of unconscious bias, again, leadership. The success of gender diverse teams isn't true just in companies, but also on boards. When there is a higher representation of women on boards, companies have more meetings, have higher attendance rates, experience greater participation in decision making, engage in tougher monitoring, and are more likely to replace CEOs when stock performs poorly. With 70% of consumer spending decisions being made by women, and even a higher percentage when it comes to healthcare decisions, And with two thirds of all the wealth in the U.S. being controlled by women by 2030, if you don't have women participating in strategy and product decision making, one could argue that you're leaving money on the table. And people realize that Jenny's point is so well taken. This article is from several years ago, but she's giving one of the keynote talks at CES in literally a couple days. I'm recording this January 1, 2023. She will be speaking the end of the week. Go online and listen to that talk. Jenny also makes the point, although these data and experiences are clearly focused on venture capital and business, many of these findings and lessons may apply equally to other sectors, including healthcare and radiology. Whereas in venture capital, pattern recognition may be both the key to success and a significant risk. She spoke about how when people invest with venture capital, they think about what the last success was. They think about a Mark Zuckerberg. He wore a sweatshirt with a hoodie. So if someone shows up with a sweatshirt and a hoodie, they'll get funded. If someone shows up in a dress, perhaps they won't get funded. Jenny also made the point that creating a radiology workplace that's attractive to women will be a major step forward in the recruitment process. As Jenny says, if we can recruit and retain a more diverse workplace, we'll be rewarded with more successful departments with greater ability to realize our full potential. And hard to say better than that. Now, Jensen Wang is the CEO of NVIDIA. If you bought the stock when he visited us, the stock was something like $15 or $16 a share. It then became the most successful stock over the next basically five to seven years. Jensen is AI. NVIDIA is AI. No matter where you look, it's NVIDIA. The reason he's successful is the way he thinks of things. And the way he treats people and the way people listen to him because listen to what he said to us do work that matters that is hard and that we're uniquely able to do make sure that the problem you're working on matters to other people and thus commercially viable work that can be funded remember how that unless you swing for the fences your company will almost certainly lose if you don't take risks in business How can you hope to beat all those incredible companies in the marketplace? The conservative move is one that will put you out of business. Aim high. But then it's how you work. Do work that brings us incredible joy. Realize that profits may not be there when you start. Use the pride and satisfaction in the work itself as a way to overcome those inevitable initial setbacks and obstacles. Things are not always going to go smooth. You need to believe in your vision, knowing that your best customers may not at first. Even though they want to and they want to help you, they may have too narrow a vision. It's kind of like that Henry Ford thing, right? He always said that if he asked his customers uh, back in the late 1800s what they wanted, they would say a faster horse. A car didn't exist. It's a truism that several of our most successful innovations were products that consumers claimed to have no interest in prior to our developing them. Success as an innovator sometimes requires the foresight to see ahead of the customer's current wants and desires. And although Jensen Wang's development of a billion dollar, almost a trillion dollar company at some point last year, before the stock market went down a bit may seem light years away from the demands of running a local radiology practice but as advice to take joy in your work and care about craftsmanship is valid for any industry whether you're a restaurant whether you're a car dealer or a radiologist or radiology technologist though it is easy to simply mail it in and provide a mediocre product maintaining your long-term viability is a compet in a competitive industry requires caring a great deal about the quality of your product or service. Certainly, as in Silicon Valley, many radiology practices have encountered failure because they fail to realize that it is quality work that underpins financial success. Worrying only about the money, you're gonna fail. If you do a great product, if you provide what the consumer wants, what the patient wants, you will then be successful. Elias Ahuni visited us, Elias was a little bit ahead of me as a resident. Elias became our chair at Hopkins. Elias went to run the NIH and run uh, medical affairs at Sanofi. Elias had a great vision. To be successful, we need curiosity and the willingness to reach out to people from other disciplines who know things that we do not know and are smarter than us. I subscribe to the 50-50 rule. At least half of what I read is in fields unrelated to my own work. That's a comment I made before but Elias said it incredibly well. Leadership requires heart, spine, and brains, as well as dominating one's fear. When I first came to the United States, I had big dreams. I knew I could not put a full life in a small dream box. The ability of this country to attract the best is what makes America great. Elias went on to say, for radiology to flourish in the world of precision medicine, our specialty must reach out and collaborate with other disciplines remaining sheltered in our imaging silo could hamper success. For example, the development of deep learning as applied to medical imaging depends on radiologists working closely with computer scientists to identify the most promising applications and algorithms, as well as with our colleagues in oncology and surgery to identify key clinical questions we need to address. And that was Elias' talk from five years ago. More recently, we had Alvy Ray Smith. About vision, in medicine and radiology, we're too focused on the short-term, to care for an individual patient, to get through a day, or to survive the challenges of the fiscal year. We need to dream big and set long-term, five or 10-year plans to pursue projects that we feel passionate about and that we have the commitment to follow through. You need to do today but think also about tomorrow. Alvy made the point that a number of years ago, we approached this when he was at Pixar by a Japanese company to make the first digital movie at Lucasfilm based on the story of a monkey character in the journey to the West. After running the numbers, however, I knew that given Moore's law, now broadly understood to mean that technology progress results in doubling of computer speed every two years, the technology was not ready. We needed five more years before we could make their request a reality. To understand Moore's law and computer graphics, we first needed to understand the pixel. And to do that, we needed to travel back to 19th century France. Again, this whole idea about planning and thinking, time is everything. Ed Campbell, again, Alvy's partner at Pixar in the beginning, even worse, although I had established an open door policy, I was told that the production staff had felt hesitant to voice their concerns because they don't want to be seen as going over the head of their co-workers. From that time on, my policy at Pixar has been that anyone can have a voice and have an opinion to anyone else without worrying about consequences and reprimand. Only if we can hear everybody can we do our best work. Dr. Cadmill's admonition about hidden aspects of an organization are very important. Radiologists may have a good sense of what's happening in the departmental reading room as the majority of radiologists in the department perform at least some critical work. However, other facets of the department, including many patient-centric aspects of radiology, such as scheduling an appointment, patient parking, checking in with the receptionist in the waiting room, having an IV line placed by a nurse, or requesting one scan's results, are all somewhat obscure in the minds of most radiologists but are critical in the patient experience. Again, going back to Marla, the point is I've become a strong believer that in order for your company to be successful, your employees must be happy. So think about it. All of the speakers, each of them talk about the employees, the ability to speak up, the ability to set a mission, the ability to understand that what we do today is important, but we need to be thinking about what we need to do. We need to treat people well. We need to talk about the long-term sustainability. If you only worry about today, you're not gonna be able to be around or be successful in five years. The companies that work and worry about today, but also equally worry about tomorrow, where they're going, how to train people, all of those things, becomes super, super critical. Now, when we talk about leadership, Keith Grossman, who's been at many companies, including Time Magazine, where he was the editor, has also important things to say. But I'm looking at the time, so let's do this. Let's come back in a few minutes, and we'll hear what Keith has to say. And with that, see you in a little bit.